A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. I'm Victoria Meyer. I'm glad to have you here again today. Today, I'm speaking with Michael Graff, who is the chairman and CEO of American Air Liquide Holdings and is also the EVP of the Air Liquide Group. Mike is in charge of the America's Hub and is also the chairman of the Board of Air Gas. He's got over 30 years of experience in the energy, chemicals, and polymers industry um, and is here today to just bring some insight to us in terms of hydrogen, gas, and other things. Mike, welcome to The Chemical Show. Well, thanks, Victoria. It's it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you here. What's your origin story? What got you interested in energy and chemicals and what ultimately brought you to Air Liquide? So it's probably a combination of things. Um, like many of us that ended up studying engineering, uh, I had an affinity for math and physics and chemistry, uh, analytical things. Uh, and, and it seemed to excel at that at school. So that, that's a part of it. But I, I actually grew up in Chicago South Side, and, and I had the benefit of growing up in the city and, and all the benefits of, of schooling and, and activities and, and those types of things the city brings. But uh, on my dad's side of the family, we also had a family farm. And so I spent summers, I spent long weekends out working on the family farm. Uh, and, you know, you see the world through a different light when you when you do that. And, and so somehow I was always naturally inquisitive, trying to understand how things work. Why did it work that way? How do you make that work? How does that happen? And so somehow that combination of that, uh, that just natural aspect of being inquisitive on how the world works, how things work, along with the, uh, the fundamentals of, of all those analytical and, and scientific principles that are somehow deeply embedded in me kind of drove me into, into engineering, specifically chemical engineering. That's awesome. And, uh, and then you launched from that into the, the chemical industry and into Air Liquide? I, I did, yeah. So I started my career actually with Standard Oil of Indiana, which uh, became later known as Amico. And I actually started in R&D. And I was in a group, it was a think tank called Plastic Products. And so back then, uh, there was a lot of, I would say, drive, uh, a lot of innovation, thinking about how plastics and polymers could enable a lot of things in the world around us. And, and so I joined this group that was thinking about some weird concept like a one-piece plastic bottle. Uh, we were thinking about um, how you could develop uh, plastics and polymers that you could use under the hood so they can handle high temperatures and under extreme conditions, deliver what they needed to. We didn't know anything about personal computers at the time because nobody really had one. And, and right. a lot of the things we developed to that. 
and, and so on. And, and it went into a lot of products that are in use in the world today in healthcare and electronics, uh, in everyday life and automotive, whatever the case may be. And, and I just kind of evolved. I, I ended up in engineering and then I was working more in uh, the refining uh, and, and uh, marketing of transportation fuels. So I was able to design and, and, and build and then help operate uh, a number of refineries in the old Amico system. And then, and then I took on a lot of different roles and I was in planning, I was in finance, uh, I was in long-term corporate planning for the organization, uh, working for the chairman, uh, and then ended up back in chemicals. And I had the chance to operate uh, globally, uh, many of the chemical and polymer businesses in the old Amico. And then I, I leveraged that. I, I moved into Air Liquide now 16 years ago, and uh, I've been involved in more of the industrial gas space with customers who do many of the same things that I did in my past and, and many others as well, uh, and have had a chance now to see both in, in, in the first part of my career and the second part of my career, how innovation, uh, how deep scientific principles, uh, how the world around us continues to evolve and needs solutions that are embodied in those basic principles to be uh, who we want to be in the future, to be successful in the future, to help the world achieve its long-term goals. Yeah, that's right. And it's so interesting, as you say, the the connectivity between where you started and where you are today and uh, your customers are your suppliers and your suppliers are your customers. And it's a really interconnected world. It is, absolutely, which makes yeah. it fun. It does. Absolutely. So what do you see different? You've been in the industry, uh, in, in different parts of the industry for a long time. What's different today versus when you started? So there's probably some similarities and, and then there's definitely some, some differences. Um, I think that the ability to leverage innovation, uh, the ability to meet a customer's needs, uh, the ability to go ahead and, and I would say leverage at global scale uh, capabilities to meet the world's needs are, are all very prominent today and they were very prominent then. But I think the world is sped up. I think the world has evolved in a way uh, that innovation is ever more key. I, I think looking at the world's issues, whether that's how do you address climate change? How do you decarbonize industry? How do you decarbonize the transportation sector? Um, how do you uh, enable the digital world of tomorrow uh, with, with all of the digital capabilities uh, to allow that to occur? How do you create better mechanisms for healthcare? How do you do this based on scientific technologies and principles? And I could go on, but all of these things require innovation and, and they require ever more rapid development of innovation in the world around us. So I think, I think that's one difference. I think another big difference is the application of technologies, the application uh, across whether whether that's disciplines, uh, whether that's across industries, somehow everything is ever more integrated. I think that the, the evolution uh, that we see is that it's not just about one idea from one place that solves this big issue. It, it requires teams of people, could be within the same company, could be from different companies, that are able yeah. to leverage their strengths and their ideas and their innovation and, and really drive uh, a, a new solution in the world around us. I, I think another key thing is customers and patients have always been critically important. But I think as the world has evolved, I think that whether it's industry, uh, whether it's the approach from a healthcare standpoint, 
this patient or the customer is ever, ever more of a focus as a center point of what you want to achieve. It's not just, I've developed this, so maybe you want to buy it and use it. It's about developing solutions that are tailored to those individuals, to those companies, to those customers or patients, and, and ensuring that you leverage all of your capabilities to meet those needs in a safe way, in a reliable way, in a high quality way. Um, but a lot of times, especially if we look now at the energy transition as an example, or how do you create uh, the next node from a transistor standpoint? They need solutions and we bring some of those solutions. And so I think that the customer centricity of what we do is ever more so than it was. And we're ever more integrated in understanding our customers' needs and what we can bring to the table. I think another key thing is employees. When, when I first joined uh, you know, industry, when, when I first started my career, um, the information age wasn't upon us. Uh, and, and I think in general, as, as each generation evolved, the desire to understand not just what we are doing as a company, but more importantly, why? Why do we do what we do? Why do we want to make this change? Why does this occur? Rather than someone just directing something to happen and everybody took it as that's what we need to do, we just move on. A lot more in-depth understanding and discussion which has only led us to ever better ways to operate companies, ever better ways to work together and bring solutions. So I think that's different. Uh, I think the career development of employees is very different, right? You know, when you, when you joined a company years ago, you joined a company and one day somebody called you in the office and said, well, we got a job for you here and you better take it. And that's what right. it is. Today, employees, they, they own their career, which is critically important. They, they develop themselves. We help develop them. But it's, it's a joint effort. And, and, and so you want to make sure that you hire the right people, but then you, you develop them, you give them opportunities, you stretch them, you allow them to achieve what it is they want to achieve in their career. And then finally, the last point, and I could go on, but I think the last point is, is the relationship with the community. I think that as a company, Air Liquide, for example, has always worked hard to be a part of the, the community. We've always had a sustainable DNA or a sustainable backbone to our culture. But, but if you just think about how things have evolved in industry in general over time, you know, the 70s, uh, you know, the vernacular was anything goes, you know, and I just mean in general society or yeah, whatever the yeah, case yeah. may be. And today, I think people are very concerned about what happens in my community. People are very concerned about, are you a good citizen if you're going to build a facility, if you're going to operate in my community? Are you giving back to the community? Are you engaged in the community? Do you leverage the community? Do you create opportunity for the people in our community? And I think all of those things are first and foremost in our mind, certainly as we do things that are the key, but I've seen that evolve over time. And, and I think that, that that relationship between the company and the community, uh, being a good citizen in the community, a good corporate citizen has really evolved in a very positive way. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that was there's a lot there to unpack, and I may not unpack it, but but what I think is really interesting, what I draw from that is business has gotten a lot more personal, right? So it's really this recognition of individual needs, customer needs, the why behind employees, the why behind the customers, and the, and what they need, the why in the community, and in, in creating. Uh, that connectivity and personalization really to 
to make that collaboration and the fact that we're actually all part of the same ecosystem is happen. It's important. Absolutely. No yeah. doubt. Interesting. So, so let's talk a little bit about sustainability and net zero, right? So I know that this is a big part of, uh, heck it's, it's on everybody's minds today. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, the way that we're, the industry is responding to sustainability and net zero has moved companies from like Air Liquide from kind of boring industrials <laughs> to central solution providers, right? And drivers of the energy transition when we look at things like hydrogen for mobility and other things. What's Air Liquide's approach? What's, what's central to Air Liquide when we think about the world that we're in today with sustainability and net zero? So, so first of all, I, I never thought about anything being boring in the past. But you're right. <laughs> but I mean, it's industrial gas. Today. It was kind of an afterthought. It's a you know, yeah. it, it, may, it may feel that way to many. But, yeah. but this comes back to something I mentioned before that you know the world around us, uh, and, and especially from an air liquid perspective, trying to understand the needs of the world around us, not just today's needs, which we work really hard to make sure we meet each and every day for our customers and our patients, but in order to think about the future. And, and I mentioned before, you know, the digital age and where that goes, better healthcare and clearly climate change, the energy transition is, is top of mind. And, and I actually think that the focus on all three of those areas, uh, while it was prominent, just a few years ago, somehow all that accelerated during COVID. I, I don't know Absolutely. if people had more of a chance to, to contemplate uh, the world around them and, and themselves. And all of a sudden, their awareness of healthcare became ever more acute and the need to connect digitally became ever more important. And all of a sudden, where they live and the environment around them became ever more important. But, but all of those things are, are, are clearly something that evolved in a very strong way. From a climate standpoint, first of all, I would say, and I mentioned this before, I think Air Liquide has always had a very sustainable approach in how we think about the company itself, how we act within the communities in which we operate, and, and how we meet our customers or our patients' needs. And, and it's always kind of been foundational in the, in the company. Certainly, you've got to have good financial returns to grow, and that's part of sustainability. Um, but we were always trying to think of what the world may may require and and how can our technologies help enable that or what technologies do we need to develop that makes sense for us to develop to be a part of that and and we have seen that happen over time i mean you know over 120 years basically two individuals working in a garage or a warehouse outside of paris developed the first commercially viable way to separate the air you and i are breathing and liquefy it and that was the beginning of oxoacetylene torch cutting and welding. Up until then, steel was or metals were hard cut. And if you wanted to join two pieces of metal together, you used rivets. And, and so it's not that the industrial age happened because of us, but we we're part of it. We, we were part of contributing that. And, and I think with all of these types of things, whether that was how our large industries business that serves the big commodity industries like refining and chemicals and steel evolved over time whether it's in manufacturing, whether it's in semiconductors, whether it's in healthcare, we, we were always able to develop new technologies and new capabilities. Today, with climate change, if we think about our goal to net zero, as a country, we, we wanna be there by 2050. Uh, if we are going to achieve that, 
we need to have the technological capabilities. We need to be able to build at scale today. And, and in the end, it's about the solutions. So it starts with Air Liquide having this broad portfolio of technologies. We have the ability to produce hydrogen via any route necessary. We can take any sort of hydrocarbon, we can, we can convert that into hydrogen, and we have the state-of-the-art carbon capture technologies to capture almost all of the CO2 that's generated that you can then sequester or use elsewhere. We also have all the technologies to utilize, whether it's solar or wind power, whether it's hydroelectric power from a dam, uh, in, in a variety of different electrolyzer technologies to go ahead and produce truly renewable hydrogen. Not unlike the, the first industrial scale PEM electrolyzer that we built some three years ago now and is operating well uh, up in Beckencore in Canada, utilizing power from Niagara Falls and, and demonstrating that you can do this at industrial scale and make it work. But we've also developed the technologies to take off gas from a landfill utilizing our membrane technologies, convert that to a renewable natural gas, a biogas, and then convert that to renewable hydrogen. So we've got all those technologies. We've got all the capabilities and, and the proven ability that we demonstrate in each and every day to transport hydrogen via pipeline, uh, via tube trailer as a liquid. Uh, we have the state-of-the-art technologies for liquefaction, uh, and we have the state-of-the-art technologies for every type of carbon capture you might imagine. What that means is right now, people are trying to figure out if I want to decarbonize my industry, if I want to decarbonize my site, how do I go about that? And we're able to go in, given the breadth of all these technologies, and bring solutions and, and help them understand, first of all, what they need to consider in order to achieve that, and then to implement it. Similarly with the transportation sector, if we are going to decarbonize the transportation sector, We've got to do a lot of things in terms of how we go ahead and drive mobility to zero emission. And, and a lot of that uh, utilizing hydrogen fuel cells can be accomplished. In, in the end, the energy transition itself um, will not occur only because of hydrogen, but it, the energy transition will not happen without hydrogen. I think that if you look at the, the, the focus in the world around us, I think the estimates are by 2050, roughly 20% of all of the energy needs of the world will be met by hydrogen. And so that's industry, that's mobility, that can even be grid backup. So I, I think whether it's on carbon capture or hydrogen, the sustainability mindset we've always had are now in a place, we are now in a place where we can deliver that. And the good thing is, it's not a wish list of things we could do. We have already demonstrated all of these technologies at scale. So we know they work. Yeah. And it's a matter of deploying them. Exactly. Are customers and consumers ready for this? I mean, it strikes me that we've got some ambitious goals as a country. Air Liquide has its ambitious goals. And when you look across the value chain, it kind of all has to be in sync for it to really come to fruition. I guess the question is how do how do we get the value chain in sync so that we can so that we can realize it so that Air Liquide can realize its ambitions. So there I'm there's no magic bullet here but I let, let's no. let's think a little about some of the things that have to happen. Um I think first of all you've got to have 
like-minded companies, like-minded industries working together, as I mentioned before, uh, to bring technologies, to bring capabilities to the table. Uh, it's not just how do you produce uh, your needs from a fueling standpoint like hydrogen, but what are the applications to use that? And, and how do you deliver those at scale to make those successful? So I think it takes a lot of uh, like-minded companies. For example, we started the Hydrogen Council some six years ago, uh, joint with Toyota, because we both shared a view of what hydrogen could mean in the future. And now I think we have over 120 companies jointly working within this Hydrogen Council on how you develop things. I think another key thing, though, is the recognition that in order to make a change, in order to make this happen, in order to deliver it, it requires new infrastructure, it requires new capabilities, it requires investment in these facilities. And in order to achieve that, we need to have the incentives to make that work, and we need to have the policies to make that work. So in my mind, it, it's going to take you know, smart climate policy, like we see with the IRA, Sure. Or we've seen we've seen with some elements of, of the bipartisan infrastructure bill to go ahead and help drive some of those incentives. And you see something very similar in Europe. You see some of that evolving in countries like uh, in, in Japan or in, in Korea, where, where these kinds of things are evolving. And then it really takes to promote the technologies, to continue the innovation, public-private partnerships, where, where it's not just companies and the government, but universities and other think tanks that are all collaborating. And, and I think what we see right now are ecosystems being built, both around knowledge and around innovation, but then geographic ecosystems that recognize the, the basic inherent resources and needs within a given geography, and then determining the solutions that will allow you to best meet those goals of, of uh, net zero, for those communities, for those regions in a very positive way. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a challenge that takes a lot of people, as you say. So getting these coalitions and these entities aligned um, is going to be part of the process. Well, it, it exactly right. And, and it takes commitments. I mean, I mean, we've you know, we, we've been in the hydrogen business for over 60 years. Um, and, and we have been very driven uh, as, as part of all this to leverage that experience. And, and you know, we've already made commitments you know, for over $10 billion that we'll invest uh, to continue to grow hydrogen uh, in the coming years. And those numbers only continue to grow. And, and I think everybody is looking at that saying, what can we do? How can we make this work? Um, but I think the other point that you were driving at is for the consumer, for their needs. You know, at the end of the day, right, energy needs need to be met for the world around us. Our energy needs only continue to grow. Yes, we're more efficient in things. So for a specific uh, plant or for a specific need, yes, you can make that more efficient. But in the aggregate, the world's energy needs, as we think about everything in the world that evolves around energy, even the digital world requires enormous amounts of energy in order to go ahead and function that only continues to grow. And so at first, all of these energy sources are additive. And then as you build to scale and you create more structure, then certain new opportunities will become ever more prominent in that mix. At the end of the day, people want energy. They want it to be available when they need it. 
It's got to be affordable and they want it to be cleaner. And it's got to meet the needs of everybody, every community out there. And, and I think those are the kind of goals we have is to get ourselves to that place. Yeah. Awesome. So um, I'm going to circle in a little bit on the customers. So you, you talked earlier about how, um, what are the differences, you know, in the industry today is just kind of this alignment to the customers and, and their needs, et cetera. We talk a lot about the customer experience. Um, what's critical to Air Liquide and its customers when you think about the experience and why companies do business with you, why your customers want to keep doing business with Air Liquide and partnering? Sure. So I think it's multifold. Uh, you probably ought to talk to our customers to get the real answer. But, but I, I, think, I think that the, the reality is this. Um, first of all, our customers look to us to meet their needs in a safe way, in a reliable way, and in a high-quality way. And, and that is very clear. As things have evolved, I would add a sustainable way. So you've got those four basic components that our customers really look for as, as we look to meet their needs or our patients for that matter. Mm -hmm. I, I think the next thing is to bring innovative solutions to bear to help them. Because in, in this world, as things have evolved, whether, whether that's as we, some of the things we just talked about with climate change, if someone is looking to understand how they decarbonize their industry or their site, to the point I made earlier, we bring those solutions. It's not just we bring a product. So we've got to bring the innovation. We've got to bring those solutions. And our customers and our patients look for us to do that. Um, similarly, our, our customers are, are very, very interested in securitizing, because we have a lot of global customers, supply chains around the world. So coming back to their reliability piece, it's, it's not just I meet your needs from this plant to this plant every day. But if they yeah. are going to be successful in the future and they are going to deploy their capabilities and their technologies globally, then they want to make sure those supply chains are secure. They want to make sure that they can rely on you each and every day. So I think there's a variety of things that our customers look for. And, and in, the, in the end as well, I think the digital connectivity between all of us opens doors for even better ways to connect, for even better ways to do things. And, and we certainly leverage that as well. Yeah, and digital is certainly driving that in a, in a lot of different places. So when we we look at what's going on kind of in the world today, you know, I mean, as we're recording this, uh, there's a lot of banking uncertainty with SVB and uh, Credit Suisse, et cetera. Industries and, and companies continue to be concerned about inflation. There's a lot of things going on. You've led businesses through several cycles. Um, what do you find critical to navigating these ups and downs, right? So you, I know that you're looking at these and as you lead Air Liquide, you're looking at how do you lead through these cycles? What's critical to you? So clearly the, the external world is ever evolving and you have to have a very open mind and a close eye on what's evolving in the world around us. And, and we've got to really understand our customers' needs. We've got to understand where markets are going. We've got to understand we're, we're, in, you know, we're, we're in 75 countries around the world. And, and so we've got to understand what's happening within each of those countries. 
the political environment, uh, the inherent risk involved in different plagues. We're always trying to understand what's going on in the world around us. Um, but in the end, you leverage your innovations and your capabilities, as I mentioned before, to meet the world's needs. And you've got to pick and choose how you deploy those, how you invest, and how you will manage that. Um, but in the end, for a company like Ehrlich Key to be around for about 120 years um, and go through as many cycles and wars and depressions and recessions as we have, you know, you, you first of all have to make sure you control your cost base. You have to recognize that you don't control the external environment. You don't control markets. You don't control the latest decision that's going to happen in a given country or whatever the case may be. You don't control the un, unthought of things, the black swans that are going to evolve. Yes, you plan for what could be, but you do your best on, on those types of things. So in the end, you've got to control those things you can control. So it's cost. It's reliability. It's how you help your employees and develop your employees and making sure you're always close to your customers and what their needs are, and you stay very integrated and ingrained with the community. So you, you are in this unusual place today, where whether it's with the war in the Ukraine and, and how that's changed the environment uh, with, within Europe, looking at energy, looking at industry, looking at a variety of things, uh, whether it's you know SVB and, and other concerns about the banking sector, whether it's other concerns about what's happening in economies or political situations in the world around us, you know, at the end of the day, you, you have to be aware of all those things, but then you have to manage what you can, control what you know you know how to control, and then make sure you stay very close with your customers, that you understand their needs, that you're helping them with solutions, and you make sure your patient's needs are met each and every day. And I think COVID was the perfect example of that where suddenly healthcare was prominent on everyone's mind. And, and it's unusual maybe for an industrial company, 20% of our revenue base is healthcare. And we're the world's largest medical oxygen provider. Wow. And suddenly in COVID, with the focus on the need for medical oxygen, everywhere in the world, in order to help patients survive COVID, we were front and center. And we had to be very attuned with what was happening. We saw how it evolved around the world, and we continued to learn from that everywhere around the world as it evolved, so that we were ever more prepared. We were able to go ahead and significantly increase the production of medical oxygen and certainly do that in advance once we knew what was going to happen and leverage our logistics assets and our capabilities to the right places in order to make that, I would say, available to save patients' lives. And, and so there's where you had to be in tune with everything happening in the world. You had to be in tune with your patient's needs. And you had to figure out how to do things people, people never thought of before in yeah. order to meet those needs. And we not only did that in, in you know, the geographic centers in Western Europe and North America and, and, and in Asia, uh, but we went into third world countries. Uh, we, we found ways to get the medical oxygen needs into Amazonia. We found the ways to go ahead and, and work in the outskirts outreaches of, of the country of India, joint with the, the State Department in order to go ahead and project that. So there's a lot of things that are happening in the world around us. We have to be quick, we have to be nimble, but we have to leverage our strengths in order to be successful. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that, and you obvious, you guys have obviously done that in your global reach and your global connectivity. One final question, and I know we need to, to wrap it up and get you uh, back into your, the rest of your day. Um, when we circle back to your origin story, so you've stayed very connected to your alma mater, IIT, which uh, you and I both share, um, and you sit on the board of trustees. You've stayed connected to chemical engineering as a profession. I know you recently received the Agile um, Award from the American Institute of Chemical Engineers. Why is staying connected? to education and to engineering important to you? So I, I think in general, it's critically important because I truly believe, probably not a surprise given everything I just talked about, at, at the benefits uh, that engineering principles, engineering approaches to solving problems uh, and, and the many things that, that we have developed, whether that's uh, from an engineering standpoint, from an industry standpoint, whatever the case may be, how they contribute to the world's and how they contribute to meet the world's needs over time. So I think I think STEM itself is critically important. And, and I, I believe in the world around us, you have to find a way to continue to encourage that and a way to enable that in general. The second thing I would say, Illinois Tech is, is, is now in a place where it continues its own heritage. Um, one of the, the basic founding principles of the school was to create an opportunity for those that never had an opportunity to go to college before to go to college, to right. study in a university. I'm one of those. I mean, I'm the first person in my family that ever went to college, ever graduated from college. It's amazing. And, and so, I mean, I, I'm living proof that you can do it, right? And, and I benefited from Illinois Tech. I benefited from the Chicago area ecosystem where uh, I, I was able to get a good education, but at the same time, I was able to work because I had to support things uh, in, in terms of some of the things that were happening back then in, our, in my own life and, and, and pay my way through school and do those things. Um, but in the end, you want to give back. You want to create that same opportunity for someone else who is not in a place to be able to go to, go to school to get them that opportunity because they just need the opportunity. They need the chance. And so it's, it's promoting the, the, the capabilities, the scientific developments, the engineering developments in the world around us, because we need them. It's about creating pathways of opportunity for the students of the future. And, and, and I, I would say I do the same thing with Purdue, maybe in a different way, because that's where I went to graduate school. And I'm very involved there uh, on curriculum needs and, 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 and supporting some of the things they do, just like I do at Illinois Tech. Um, and I think you've got to give back in the community around you as well. I mean, we give back as a company in STEM all the time. I'm a firm believer in literacy. Uh, as a family, we're deeply, deeply engaged in, in literacy in the world around us. Uh, we're very involved with uh, uh, the Bush, Barbara Bush, when she was first lady, started a literacy campaign, uh, which is now prevalent across the country and, and very involved in supporting literacy. Uh, but, but just creating opportunity at the university structure, and, and even as a company, there are those who, they may not want to study in university. They may not want to get a college degree, but how do you create opportunity for them? And we even work there. You know, we, we are now, we've, we've now helped to restart shop classes, welding classes in 30 high schools across the country. That's awesome. We have, yeah, we, it's great because we have this in-depth knowledge of welding given our history. 
and all of these capabilities. And we're able to go back into those schools. We're able to bring the educational capabilities. We're able to bring the know-how. We're able to bring you know, the materials they need to go ahead and, 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 and learn with, with the gases and the, the, the welding rods and the machines and, and that sort of thing. And at the end of the day, you're, you are allowing others that want to pursue a different type of career to have a value-added creating opportunity for their own career and, and, and create, in the balance of things, opportunity for everyone. And, and I think that's critically important in the world around us. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, thank you. It's been really great talking with you today. I appreciate you sharing your time and your points of view and your story here with us on The Chemical Show. Great. Thank you, Victoria. Thanks for everybody for listening. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. And we'll talk again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.